Welcome to Podcast Therapists. I'm Sarah. I'm Amanda. And I'm Caroline. We are all family therapists at different life stages, and we also happen to be good friends. We're so happy to have you join us for a little couch time today. Please like and rate us wherever you get your podcast, and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcast Therapists. Don't forget the S. We love hearing from you and want to invite you to share any questions or issues you'd like to hear us discuss. We might even do an episode on it because we bet you're not alone with it. Please email us directly at podcasttherapists at gmail.com. Thanks for coming to our session. Hey, everyone. We are talking today about how do you know if your kid needs a therapist? And we're getting lots of calls right now. And there really is a mental health crisis in America because things are really hard. There's a health crisis. There's a political crisis. There's a cultural crisis. And so everyone is really struggling. And one of the things we want you to know is that that means you are a kind and empathic person if you are struggling right now. That being said, some folks are having a harder time than we would like, and we know that we can help. And so we are going to talk about looking for your kid's behavior as any sudden and significant changes from the norm, looking at the duration, intensity, and frequency of the behaviors. And then we're going to talk about specific behaviors related to sadness, anxiety, and anger. We hope this is helpful. Let us know if you have any questions. You can let us know at Podcast Therapists on Instagram or Facebook. Okay, we're going to jump right in. And we're going to talk about something that we're getting a lot of inquiries about, which it's a great question. And I actually really have this question. So how do I know if my kid might need a therapist or need to go to therapy? That is a great question. And actually one I ask myself all the time, um, <laughs> all the time. And fortunately, I always say the best part of my job is that all of my coworkers are child psychologists. So any question I have, I can just like pop into their office and be like, so my kid did this. What are your thoughts? So it's a question we all have all the time, I think. It is. Well, yeah. My friends ask me, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's normal at age six. But what are some of the things that maybe we need to kind of look at as markers? Because one of the other things is I feel like markers have changed dramatically for kids. Yes. So where a teacher might flag something or we might be seeing something in the after school hours or we may see a little less motivation at soccer practice or, you know, whatever it is. Um, we just don't even have those same kind of structures to look at the markers. Absolutely. And you don't have the same opportunity to collaborate with other professionals because they're only in your home. Right. So if, if my kid was having a hard time before, it would be really easy for me to call the teacher and that teacher is spending seven hours a day with my kid. Now they're only spending three hours a day with my kid. I actually think the teachers know way more than we think they do. By the way, I think the teachers are great resources and can pick it up on Zoom. Um, however, things are a little different and the markers have changed. Yeah, well, nothing that we were trained in and none of the research is there to show us like what is normal pandemic behavior. You didn't take that class? I didn't take it 11 months in. I only went the first six months. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> 
So I think we have broken it up as far as markers and behaviors for us in um, three categories around just to describe it. So there's increases in sadness, there's increases in anxiety, and there's increases in anger and externalizing behaviors. And so we're going to talk about what are some behaviors under the category of sadness that can be a marker for, hey, you should maybe talk to a therapist. Yeah, let's start with sadness. Um, yeah. Okay. So I think one thing that comes up with sadness is like not getting out of bed, really isolating yourself within your own home. Right. So like not coming out of your room or like refusing to be in a common area all the time, playing video games in your room all the time, Mm -hmm. or just like lying in your bed, watching Netflix all day, increased tearfulness, like sad sustained sad feelings. I think with kids um, that are verbal, even if they're not saying I'm sad, sometimes if you share, like what you can tell is anything you talk about has a sad take on it kind of. And maybe it's more with the older kids, but I feel like, you know, you might talk about, oh, you know, the vaccines are out. And the answer you might get is yes, but nobody's signing up for them. Like it's kind of hopelessness. Yes. You kind of feel like there's a sad theme to whatever you're discussing. And one thing I think you can do, like, I also think that right now some of us are just getting into like ruts or into like not the healthiest habits. So I think you can try to set a bar for your child if you're worried about them and see if they can meet it. Right. So have a conversation with your kid if they're looking really sad and down and not coming out of their room talk to them about that and then say like, hey, let's set a goal that you're going to spend an hour in the living room in the afternoon after school. And I mean, it can be on your phone or we can hang out, but right, like challenge them or give them like, you know, a goal of you're going to do this thing outside your room or you're going to get dressed every day, even if it's in different sweatpants. And if your child can't meet that expectation, right? Like they're like, I just can't do it. That might be a sign. Hey, this emotion is really overwhelming me right now. Yes. Especially around hygiene. One of the things that can happen is kids just feel so sad. They're not going to put the energy into brushing their hair or changing their clothes. Yeah. And there's, there's no point. Why would I do that? I'm not going to see anybody anyway. And that can kind of be one of the biggest indicators for us as therapists is kind of how much is that kid struggling? And I think the same thing goes for their level of chaos in their room. If it is totally overwhelmingly disgusting and you have tried many times to help them clean it and figure out how to clean it, I think that that can be an indication. Sarah, what do you think? Because you have a teenager. I do. I was just had this image in my head of having to rake the floor. I think that you... um, I think oftentimes with kids, if they are struggling, one of the things that can be helpful as a parent is to actually just go help a little. Like I, I don't want to have to go in and clean my teenager's room or the bathroom. And let me repeat the bathroom. Um, I've actually taken pictures of the bathroom and sent them out because I feel like it's a crime scene sometimes. But I think um, sometimes it, depending on her mood or where I feel like she might be, if I just have to come in jumpstart by helping just the little things, pick some stuff off the floor, just get it going that can be helped because initiative is a really hard thing for kids that are feeling really sad or overwhelmed and the room like kids eat in their rooms now because they're a lot of them are doing school in their room Um, and so you have to go find the stuff that got stuffed under the bed um, and things like that 
So it is just about trying to, sometimes you just have to give a little jump start. And if you've addressed it and set expectations and you can't have the conversation at all, it turns into World War III every time you try to have that conversation or set basic expectations, that can also be a sign. Absolutely. Because essentially what we're saying is that Kids need to know what their kids need to have a bar to meet. And if you give them a little support and they're able to meet that bar, great. We know that there's likely not an issue. If you if you have to give them so much support to meet a pretty low bar, then you might need to get some help. And we're not saying go clean your kid's room. Like, don't. That's not at all the message. <laughs> Hard no from Amanda. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But I, but just kind of observe that piece. See when you like you you said. I mean, because in some families I know it's a rule to make the bed every day. It's not every family is like that, and that's fine. But just the normal standards that you used to have, if that's not happening, and like I said, it's tough. Some for some kids, their school is now their bedroom. Right. And that's a there. It, it's helpful to kind of even if they can keep it a little organized, that can help them. Um, I don't I just kind of be a little more focused on school, too. Yeah. Um, I think kids are spending tons of time in their bedrooms with the nature of Zoom school. I also think remembering as a parent that like your definition of cleanliness and your teenager or child's definition might look different. So if they're proud that they have cleaned their room and in your head you're like, oh, this isn't what I pictured, right? Like they put the effort and the time in and showed you like I'm trying to meet that bar. So reward the effort, right? And if you're like, okay, I kind of need to do a second layer sweep through here, that's okay, right? But I think also just remembering like, I need to have a realistic expectation of what my kid's room is going to look like when they're in it all day, every day. Yeah. And I think it's not so much that you want to be able to have surgery in that kid's room, but I would go for the worst, like that the health department isn't going to come in and condemn it. That should be maybe the line of success. Like you might have to drop it a little. But when a kid can't or the kid is really fighting you on it, that's the sign that maybe just getting some help would be helpful. I also have some kids who've gotten their time totally um, mixed up. And this happened a lot over the summer, but essentially they would sleep from, I don't know, four in the morning to noon and then be up from noon until four in the morning and their whole clock was completely shifted even when they needed it not to be. And so sometimes you might need help from a professional getting that clock shifted back to the world that they need to be in. That's a huge teen issue. Actually, mm-hmm. it's hard. A lot. Yeah. And if they can't reset to get to school on time and then they're missing the, the important things that they need to meet their developmental milestones, that's time. To bring in a therapist. Yeah. And we can do a podcast on sleep. We probably need to at yeah. some point, like how to regulate that. But that is something to watch for. And it's really common and understandable in some ways because the kids aren't leaving our homes very often. So for them, their downtime can sometimes be late at night. Um, but again, that can be very detrimental to there's the sleep pattern can affect mood and coping. And I 100%. think I see it a lot when teenagers are in the mindset of like, well, my schedule doesn't matter. Right. Like I have nothing to look forward to. Like, yes, I'm missing some of these things that I need to be doing, but it doesn't matter. Right. And that like sad, nothing matters feeling is significant. And I think one of the things that we're dancing around, too, is around the suicidality piece. There's been a huge increase in emergency room visits for kids and teenagers around mental health concerns. And that usually means um, suicidality. And for kids 11 to 
I think this is right. 11, what did I say? Eight to 11, five to 11, it's increased 24% from this time last year. So that means per hundred folks, 24 more are going in for visits to kind of check on their suicidality most likely. And then for 11 to 18 year olds, it's increased 31%. So kids are feeling it and they're feeling hopeless and helpless and, and, and are, are thinking about hurting themselves. And we take that very seriously. And that's a time to get help right away. Yeah, that's a no, that's, that's a, a kind of non-negotiable. Yep. Um, and little kids talk about, they don't always talk about killing themselves. Sometimes they'll talk about disappearing or wanting to run away. And um, I mean, sometimes that's imagination play and that's fine. But when it seems to match the mood that maybe is going on, um, that can be actual conversation about just not wanting to be here anymore, um, can be suicidal. Um, and then the older kids tend to speak more clearly about it. And again, if you're the parent of any kid, um, and and especially a kid that's slightly older and may understand the concept of suicide, don't be afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to plant something. If a kid is thinking about it, they're thinking about it already. Um, you're opening the door that that is an okay thing to talk about. And so even if they don't feel that way in that moment, if it ever came up down the road, you've acknowledged that that's a conversation that can happen in your home. Here's, I will share with you. I've had this conversation with my kid. I started probably late elementary school and I said, um, and have gone back to visit this, but, and probably said it in different terms as she gets older, but I've said, there will be a time in your life where you feel completely overwhelmed and really awful. And you may even think the only thing, the only choice you have is to hurt yourself or to kill yourself. And I just want you to know, and please remember this, no matter what, there's, there are always other choices and it's important to talk to somebody when you feel that way. And so I just always kind of made that just a baseline conversation, introduced it in not a time where she felt bad, but just in normal conversation. Um, and, and not because I, I am so powerful that I could stop that from possibly happening in my, my child's life, but I certainly just wanted her to have that extra information. So don't be afraid to entertain a discussion around that. And I will say this, it's a heavy topic and sometimes going to a therapist, sometimes you'll have to go a lot to kind of work through this. And sometimes it can be like two sessions and you're like, well, wow, we got something really important on the table. We solved this one problem together and and things can really lighten. So that's a time if, if suicidality is on the table, come in and and we can help you with that. Usually at least have the conversation. And with therapy, it's not a forever thing. Therapy is is, you know, there are kids um, that we may see periodically throughout their lives hopefully because we've had good relationships with them and things come up and they just want to discuss it with another adult outside their family. But, um, but therapy isn't meant to be something that you come and we become part of, you know, we're going to eat dinner at your house and just start living with you. Hopefully, you know, we will find out how we can help your family or help your child and then we'll work on those things and then we'll back out slowly and you'll be on your way. And then we're here if you need us. That's kind of how it works. So what would be another, uh, another kind of thing to watch for? We've got sadness, suicidality. What else? So anxiety, I would say any sudden shift and increase in anxiety. And this is a hard one right now because we actually have something to be very worried and anxious about, which is contracting COVID, you know, for folks who have OCD, Part, one of the hallmarks of OCD is kind of being so afraid of germs and washing your hands all the time. And we would consider that um, a disorder, right? That's so far out of the norm and so not related to the data that that is a disorder. 
during regular times. During COVID, folks who are washing their hands all the time and are terrified of germs are healthy folks who are paying attention to science. So anxiety can be a tricky one at this time because we need to have a healthy dose of anxiety to keep ourselves safe. And I think the whole world is vibrating a little. I mean, there's a yeah. pandemic. So everybody has kind of got a similar um, ang- anxious kind of feeling. And so it's it's pretty widespread. So when we talk about anxiety, we're talking about anxiety that interrupts um, the ability to just make it through the day in a, in a healthy way. I think sometimes with anxiety, there's that feeling of not being able to turn it off, right? So there's like the healthy dose of anxiety we're all feeling. But if I am so focused and preoccupied and like obsessed with thinking about the virus that I can't do Zoom school or that I'm constantly checking the numbers multiple multiple times a day, right? Like the intensity of my anxiety is getting in the way and interfering with my day-to-day activities. And so then it's really significant, right? I think then you've crossed the line from like what's normal anxiety right now into what's really struggling. Anxiety can also look, it can look kind of different. So it can be like a a strong irritability in someone that can just be really irritable, but they can also almost be paralyzed by it. So there's these different places that anxiety can, can kind of force somewhere to some, someone to go. And kids, like you said, their refusal to do school can be that paralyzing feeling. The irritability can be, it can be difficult to focus on school or every time um, you say their name out loud as a parent, they, you know, have a strong reaction back just because they're anxious. Although that can also just be a hallmark of being a teenager, by the way, people, <laughs> but um but I think, you know, anxiety is something to also talk about and name and, and it's okay and kind of normalize, like it's okay to be anxious, but if it's interrupting coping, if it's interrupting focus, if it's interrupting relations, you know, of, of any sort, it's something to maybe get some help with. And so specifically, if your kid is so worried that they can't sleep, that their sleep schedule is getting off, or they're so worried they're not able to do Zoom school at all and to meet their academic demands, which usually they could do if they're not eating because they're so anxious. And maybe actually now that we're here, we should go right into that is how how your kids are eating. There's also a huge increase in the number of eating disorders that have cropped up through the pandemic. And a, a lot of us clinicians think that it's because so much is out of people's control that the one thing you can control is what you put in your body. And so a lot of teenage girls and teenage boys are actually really controlling that stuff really tight and they're, they're developing eating disorders and it's gotten scary actually. Yeah. And I think the other piece of that is like our identities have gotten so shrunken. Like there aren't as many distractions. There aren't as many things to keep us healthy and keep our minds from turning inward and being really critical of ourselves that it's like this recipe for spending so much time in my own head. And a lot of times that turns critical. And I think that's a big part of the eating disorder sort of pandemic that we're seeing. And I think we've talked to pediatricians as well that we work with. And I think we're seeing both sides of the eating disorder. So we're seeing um, a lot of limiting or, or interruption with healthy relationship with food. I'm, I'm like where you're over, 
some of the kids are overeating and some of the kids are not eating enough. And again, I think, yeah, all the things we're talking about that, that strive for perfection, that's, that need to control, um, food's a funny thing because we, we have to have food in our world and our lives. And, and it's an easier thing to play with, unfortunately, when it comes to control. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can, and, and then other unhealthy habits develop from there. So if you even suspect something around the food piece, I think it's worth making a phone call. I think oftentimes where we come in in trying to work with kids that have eating disorders, they've been going on for quite a while by the time we get them in our office. Um, and in part, because I think it's, it's a hard thing to catch or see oftentimes, or the parent has had this inner dialogue about it for months. Um, I just had a conversation with a parent today and, um, and most parents, by the time they get to our offices, are saying, you know, I knew something was going on. So trust that. And, and anytime you want to call and just check in with a therapist, have that discussion when it first when you first notice. It doesn't mean the therapist is going to be like, come in here right now. It might be that the therapist says, hey, watch for these five things. Call me in a month and let's check in. And I think going back to sort of whether it's sadness, anxiety, anger, disordered eating, right? Like it's a disruption from your child's norm. Right. And so I talk about like frequency, intensity, and duration of a symptom. So frequency is like, how often is it happening? Is my kid having a meltdown or spiraling into their anxiety? If it happens one time, okay, that might just be something that happened. If it's happening two or three times a day, every day, that would be concerning. Intensity would be like, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how anxious are you? If your kid is, at a 10 all the time, like we're saying to the point they're paralyzed or can't focus, that's problematic. And then duration. So if I feel anxious, how long do I feel anxious for? Do I just have like that moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, it's right before I give a presentation at school, my anxiety goes out of control and then I start talking and it's fine, right? Oh, the duration is really short. The intensity goes up and it goes down. But if your kid is just, you know, chronically feeling really anxious, then that's a time to get it checked out too. So those are sort of three markers you can think about as a parent. Those are great. And I, I really important. I think that if people could kind of really anchor into those three things, that's super helpful. And I think too, with younger kids, oftentimes it's, um, you can see them in tantrums. So it's like the duration of the tantrum. It's the frequency of the tantrum. It might even be the decibel of the tantrum. But um, I think also let's talk a little bit about somatic complaints um, somaticism is when, um, the evidence is in the body or the, the, you know, so if a kid has stomach aches, headaches, um, nausea can come with anxiety quite often. Um, I find, I don't know if you guys find this, but I work with a lot of athletes. A lot of athletes are very in touch with their bodies. And so it actually even comes through like muscle aches sometimes, or, um, certain body parts are hurting more than others and things like that. So I think, um, those are things to, to also tune into. Um, be, and it, and I think we've talked about this before, but the somaticism that's real, it doesn't mean the stomach ache, it doesn't actually hurt or the nausea isn't there. It's really there. The headache's really there. It's just the, the feeling or the emotion is finding its way out of the body rather than it may be being discussed verbally. And so I think to let's go on to anger, because that's a little bit you're talking about the emotion coming out. And that's another way that emotions come out. I know, right? Um, So kids, anger is actually related to both sadness on some level and anxiety. um, And your ability to manage anger is really important. 
and everyone gets angry. So there's nothing wrong with being angry or sad or anxious, but it's just how you manage it that's really important. And so if you have a kid who's being violent or aggressive, that is at an intensity or duration or frequency that's way out of the norm of a developmental range, then I would say go see a therapist. And if you don't know, like, what is developmentally appropriate for my kid to be doing when they're angry, Google is actually very helpful with that, right? Like, is it normal for my, I can't think of anything. Eight-year-old to be biting. Eight-year-old to be biting. That's not within no, the normal it's range, not, right? by the way. Yeah. yeah. No, but your three-year-old, four-year-old. That would be normal. Yeah, it's a preschool right? issue. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> kids get <laughs> kids get in trouble in preschool for biting. Yeah, absolutely. And so you can see what is within the normal range. So I think hitting an adult is different than hitting a kid at a certain age. Hitting yes. um, a sibling is different than hitting a friend within yes. certain ages. Mm-hmm. But so googling that stuff can actually be helpful to see what is normal. Being too rough with animals actually can be. It kind of an expression of like a kid being frustrated or angry mm-hmm. and not knowing where to redirect it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I also think one other thing is that like anger sometimes gets, I mean, it's still externalized. It's still acting out, but you turn it on yourself. So if you have a kid that's getting really, really angry or overwhelmed to the point that they're like headbanging or, um, Self-harm in any way actually is something to pay attention Mm -hmm. to. Cutting is what we see a lot with middle school, high school kids. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, you know, just the, the expression of anger that you, I think everybody across the board has a slightly shorter fuse. And I think that's really okay and normal right now. But um, if you hear your kid yelling, you know, bad words from their bedroom or whatever, and it never happens in my house, um, repeatedly, then something, something's going on. Like there's there, if it's more than just the normal, like, you know, passive kind of something being said, but if, if everything feels like it's creating this eruption, it, then there's something that's a, the kid is feeling a little more anger under underneath. And I think self-harm, um, can look two different ways. So one is kind of the frustration. I'm overwhelmed with, I think with emotion and it's kind of like hitting your head, hitting, hitting yourself, um, kind of maybe scratching quickly. It's kind of a, uh, difficulty knowing what to do with your body that you get it's so like a overwhelmed lack of regulation. Yeah. A lack of regulation for sure. And it, it seems to be frantic. And then the other way is kind of the, the, I'm so upset. I'm so sad. It might be anxiety as well, but the cutting or burning. And in both of those instances, I would say, come in to a therapist either way. We can, sometimes we can work through that stuff very quickly. Sometimes we can't. However, we have a way of talking to kids about that. That's, that can be pretty straightforward. And I really have had kids come in for maybe two sessions to come up with another strategy and then it's over. Yeah, it just, I think the other part is when, um, I know when I talk to teens about it, one of the things I'll say right away is it, you know, are your parents freaking out about your self-harm, you know, whatever it is. And they're like, oh my God. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course they are. Here's why they're freaking out. But I'm, because I'm the therapist and it's not my kid, I don't have the same emotional stuff behind it. So I can just have a conversation about it and, and they're not reading any, anything from me more than I'm just having a conversation with them it's about not, it. Not, I'm like thinking about that, but it's not your baby's body. Yeah, no, it's, you know? it would, it's awful for the parent. Yeah, it's really it's- scary. And that, that is why having a therapist in that mm-hmm. moment can be so helpful because even just thinking about that, the baby that you've raised, right? Mm-hmm. We can do that without that layer. 
yeah, we basically just join your village. I mean, we're, we're part of that and just helping. I also think like if something really scary is going on with your child, we're talking about joining with you. So it's like an amazing support to have as the parent too, right? To say like, I'm terrified. Is my child going to be okay? And to have a Sarah or an Amanda be able to say like, you know, this is what this means. This is how we work on it. Like I totally hear and understand your concerns. Right. Because I think if not, you're like going down the Internet rabbit hole or you're just spinning out as a parent in your own head. And then that's tough on everyone. Yeah. I mean, I have reached out to both of you at different times and not with horrendously emergent situations, but just like, hey, you know, this or hey, what do you think about this? I mean, you guys are my friends and luckily you guys are really well trained friends. But I mean, it's so helpful, you know, and, and sometimes you can just reach out to a friend. And and I mean, I think I told you guys for my daughter. So like her best friends when she was younger were the youngest in their family. I had this great advantage of having my friends have older kids. And so they could tell me all sorts of things like the craft sticks, which I mentioned before, but other things too, that were important just about behavioral markers or things like that, that I knew, like, I know as a clinician and as a mom, I still, you know, feel a little lost sometimes. Um, and, and I don't know about you guys, Caroline, you're going to have this experience and, and, you know, Amanda and I are here for you when you're ready. But, um, but I know when, when my daughter was sick, when she was little, I was happy to pay the copay in the pediatric office for the pediatrician to tell me it was going to be okay. And we're basically doing the same thing for you guys, just on the emotional and and mental health front. Absolutely. So what do you all think about if someone says mom or dad or grandmother, I really want a therapist? I think if you are able to honor that, it's really important that you do. Um, I understand there are a lot of barriers to therapy, whether financial or time or transportation or otherwise. Um, And wait lists are also a thing. But I think it's really important to at least show that child that you're listening. So like, hey, I am going to look into therapists or I understand you want a therapist. I think the first step is talking to your guidance counselor or talking to your pediatrician, right? And ultimately, if that kid is really advocating for it and there is a need, right? And those other people, you know, the pediatrician or the guidance counselor are also echoing there is a need. I think that's a really important time to access therapy if it's possible. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I also realize that it's it's a really hard thing to access in certain communities, particularly right now. Absolutely. And I think a hundred percent the, you know, sometimes when I've talked to parents are like, my kid just wants to go to therapy because her best friend's in therapy, but you know, okay, that might be true. Um, and as a therapist, if a kid comes to see me and doesn't have any issues, then I am happy to say, you know, this has to be our only visit. You can call me some other time if stuff's going on, but, um, you know, as a therapist, we'll figure that out pretty quickly with you and for you. Um, but usually that's not the case. Usually if a kid is curious about having a therapist or wants to see a therapist, there's something. And like you said, just honoring that effort is huge because it shows you're listening. Um, and, and usually kids, Again, it may be sometimes when they want to see a therapist, it's not that something horrible is happening. Sometimes they're being really protective of their parents and they don't want to upset them. So they literally use this as a sounding board first, and then they turn around and tell you, or we help them tell you whatever's going on that they're concerned about. 
but sometimes they're just doing like a test run with another adult that's not their parent. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I tell people, because I frequently um, do like intake calls for R for Virginia Family Therapy. And one of the things that is hard is that there are people have called 40 people looking for a therapist right now. Um, and it can be really devastating because people are just, it's heartbreaking. And so one of the things we try to do is at least put people in at lower price points, because the other option is some people are saying the only way I can get a therapist is if I pay $150, that's impossible. And there's parental guilt and of no, like very few people can afford a therapist at $150 a session, period. So, and the people who can are very, very fortunate. So one of the things I've been working with folks on is just saying, hey, I hear you. This is really important. You said you want a therapist. I'm looking for one for you. I'm actively engaged because those feelings are important. And I, while I'm looking for one, let's see if we can get you set up talking to your pastor. Or ha is there another woman or another mom we could get you kind of 30 minutes with once a week to really focus on this stuff? Because I think people are coming to therapists because it's a, a, a safe relationship. And there are ways to look for that in our community if we can be creative. Totally. And something you were talking about recently, Amanda, was like school guidance counselors so want to help. Yes. Right. And so that can also be a huge resource for your child. Um, and it might feel separated enough from like your teacher and your parent to be that outlet that your child needs. Absolutely. So y'all, um, I think these are the reasons in general, we just went over them. Um, anger, increased anger, increased anxiety, increased sadness. Um, any sharp change in their behavior from before a major life transition, which is the pandemic. And it doesn't seem like they're having the coping resources usual. And also everyone is having a hard time right now. That actually means you're in touch with the world. We're just trying to give you some ideas for if it, if, if your kid is really having a hard time. Anything else y'all? No, I think just overall, you know, as a parent for if, if you've never been in therapy yourself, if you don't know any therapists, like don't be afraid to reach out and just talk to somebody. Or if you call, like when you call our practice, you, you actually talk to a therapist, which is not always the case, of course, but lucky. Um, but also, I mean, I think the other thing that I'll say just to add to that is I think, and I think we all say this to the the kids we see and the families we see. So if I'm going to pick a surgeon, I want that surgeon to be the best surgeon in the world. And I don't care about the bedside manner so much, truthfully, but therapy is different. And so you could have the best, most skilled therapist in the world, which we are all obviously, and we work with them. <laughs> but um, but if the relationship does is not working, if there's not a connection, then those skills can't be accessed. So I always say to teens and even some of the younger kids, um, you know, we're going to meet three times. And if this isn't working, I'm going to find you a therapist that matches for you really well. But let's give it a shot. So again, when you're talking to a therapist, trust or even ask that question of the therapist that you um, call and just say, you know, can we review this in a couple sessions or just to make sure, because a lot of people just want to make sure they get the right match. And, and that at our practice, that's what we make sure too. Um, but as a therapist, I, I want that connection. And so um, I, I'd be the first one to say, you know, this isn't really working. If it's not working, if I'm not the right therapist for your kid, or I don't have the right skill set, I will make sure I tell you that. So don't, don't be afraid that you're going to release some of your expertise. You're the parent, you're in charge, you know, your kid better than anyone. And as therapists, we need that. 
Okay, y'all, we'll come back soon with something around how to find a therapist and also things to do if you're waiting for a therapist. Excellent. Thanks so much, y'all. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Please remember, we are real-life therapists. However, this is a podcast and is not considered a therapy session. Not only because there's no copay, but also because we can't speak to your individual experiences. We're here to help you keep raising healthy kids. And remember, if you're an imperfect parent, we're right there with you. If you or someone you love is in immediate danger, please call your local crisis hotline or go to your nearest emergency room.